0: got um, a couple of moments for some stories of what God's doing. So, Johnny. God's God's good. I've lost Johnny. Okay, um, Johnny, I, I'd like you to tell us the story about praying for the guy who'd, lost, who'd been scolded and lost feeling. Can you tell us about
1: that? I certainly can. Right. So there's this guy, um, homeless guy, he'd had, um, someone had thrown petrol over him and then set him alight, um, so it was pretty much from his heel right up to his knee. He couldn't really feel stuff, you know, and it was oh, um, so we sat down, this is after we'd seen a couple of other guys healed anyway so I was just like, yeah, whatever, heal his leg, no worries so we started praying for him um, he came, on, came when he came in he was on his crutches um, we started praying for him just for God to heal his leg and nothing really happened and we just kept praying a wee bit and then he started, he started to, uh, he, it was kind of like whatever the thing that happened to the other guys like, hey what's, what's that? he didn't know what was happening something was happening in his leg and he wanted us to to, to tell him what was going on Like, you you tell us what's going on you tell me what you feel Um, and he said he started to feel um, feel something down at the bottom of his leg down near his foot where he hadn't before and that was well exciting for me so we we prayed again Um, and he started getting more feeling up his leg Um, he wouldn't let us touch his actual leg because it was so sore obviously so, but um, once that part had actually healed, he let us put, put our hands on the, the bit that was sore. And um, we just kept praying a few more times. And um, after we'd had done, he was c- completely healed. Like, we didn't, yeah. I didn't see his leg because he had a bandage on it. So I don't know if the skin was totally fine, but he could feel his leg and it wasn't sore anymore. And he, he just, and he walked away a happy man. Yeah, <laughs> praise God. <laughs> <laughs>
0: oh, thank oh, you. And you've been doing...
1: Taking people out treasure hunting every week—is that right? Yes. yes, as I've been going on about it. Every Saturday at 11 o'clock at my house, we meet and we go out in the streets. Well, we hang out with God for a bit and then we go out in the streets. And for ages, it's just been me and someone. And sometimes I just don't even bother. But yesterday we had seven people. Come yeah. on! <laughs> and we went out in two teams. We're big enough now. Two, we can go teams. two teams. So um, uh, Perkins was going to say. Going to get st- Steve.
0: Steve. Yeah, that's cool. Thanks, Johnny. So what happened yesterday, Stu?
2: Well, I decided to go along, which was the, the first step, which is a good one to take, everybody. Um, I've done this... I've tried treasure hunting before, and my history is pretty much a bleak failure. Um, I've had one person run away. Um, quite a lot of people be rather freaked out, and me just feel rather awkward. But I thought I'd try again anyway, <laughs> going on that past success. Um, so we did a bit of treasure hunting. We've got our clues. Um, I still freaked out a few people in town who had red berets and gloves, just asking them if they were the treasure. Some of them like responded in a good way, saying, oh, that's nice, etc. Um, so that was lovely. Um, <laughs> uh, then we did this signs thing where you hold up signs. So I was holding a sign saying, need a miracle? Um, and a couple of, I got to pray for a couple of random people, which is really cool. Um, one guy asking for more miracles in his life. Um, so I prayed for him. Um, and then a couple who, one of the women had been worrying for the last year that she might have cancer so I got to pray for her that God would bless her with peace Brilliant. and stuff just in the middle of Buchanan Street so that was amazing um, and then we kind of we kind of finished and we were wandering back to meet up with Johnny's group um, and we were standing waiting for Johnny's group and then this person on crutches went past me being a bit of chicken just looked at them and went oh cool and then uh, this girl Carissa from I think she's at White Inch she was like oh let's go pray for that person so we went over um, started walking towards this crutches person to try and cut them off um, but then, then this person, this, this, I think she's called Angela, um, came from the other side and started shouting, oh, you can I have two pounds, please. Oh, you can I have two pounds. So crutches person got away, but then Angela came in and started asking us for money. Um, so I was like, well, I can give you two pounds, but you know, I think God might have something more for you, uh, today. And she was like, I just want two pounds. Just give me two quid. Um, I was like, yeah, okay, I, I will give you two quid, but we believe God wants something more for, something more for you, um, and I noticed she had a little bandage on her hand, so we asked her what that was, um, and she said it was uh, from a burn that she'd got, and it was quite sore. Um, so we said, oh, can we pray for that? She was like, yeah, okay, can I have my two pounds, please? Um, so I got the two quid out, I gave her two quid, and then she started walking away, and we're like, no, we, we still want to pray for your hand. <laughs> um, so we did, we prayed for a hand, that God would come and heal it, um, and said, like, come and heal this hand in the name of Jesus, etc., amen, and she started walking away, and we're like, no, what? Well, is it feeling any better? And she was like... I mean, actually, it does feel kind of, kind of better. We were like, well, can we pray again?" And she was like, "Go for it." So we, we prayed again, and then she was like, "Yeah, it's feeling loads better. Great, thanks a lot." And then just walked off with uh, two pounds. And <laughs> well done.
0: <laughs> Fantastic. <laughs> yeah, I've done a treasure hunt with you, Steve. Our clues were Toshiba and Comet. <laughs> and we went in and we stood by a Toshiba TV set in Comet, and nothing happened, did it? <laughs> Then I had some weird picture, I thought we'd be on a t-shirt or a bag, and we walked up and down Byers Road and never found it. So this is, We're beginning to see success, but some of our early attempts were frankly rubbish, weren't they? We were just, But we were obedient, we were having a go. Um, any chance you could turn me down, I feel loud and echoey. Okay, that's great. So it's good to, it's so good what God's doing. Thanks. It's so good what God's doing, and... Just the stories keep coming, and what I'm hearing, and and we'll sort of follow this up in weeks to come, is more stuff is now happening outside than inside. Now, we want it to keep happening in church meetings, obviously, but in the last two months of last year, I said this uh, uh, last week, but I need to keep giving the good report, we saw between 12 and 14 healings in two months And only three of them were in church meetings. All the rest were either uh, me on the road going to visit a church, people out on the streets, chip shop, in the snow somewhere. I I just want to commend these guys. They're taking a huge risk. But we're seeing stuff happen now. And uh, I know Simon gave this testimony a few weeks ago. But he prayed for a guy. They were trying to do treasure hunting and this eat, pray, go thing with the students on Thursdays or Fridays. And then had a couple of weeks again. When you start this, you kind of have all these clues and you, you kind of go up to people and it doesn't work and you feel it sometimes a bit. But they kept going. And the next week they went out. Simon just goes up in the snow on uh, on the street to this guy who's walking with two sticks or two crutches and I says, What's wrong with you? And he said, I've got muscular dystrophy. So he says, Can I pray for you? And he says, All right then. So Simon, bless his heart, kneels down in the snow in full view of streets of people walking by and starts to pray for this guy's legs. And he prays for one leg, and the guy goes, wow, I can feel warmth and heat in that leg. So he says, well, can I pray for your other leg? And he says, okay. So he prays the other leg, and heat and warmth goes through this guy's other leg. And the guy, for some reason, then just walks off very grateful, but we don't know any more in the story. But I mean, A, that's great that God's just showing up on the street, but God's doing something in in these folks that they've got the courage and, and love to kneel in the snow and pray for a sick person. You know, it's a risk, isn't it? Something might not happen. That's what you feel on the inside. But the are stepping out, taking a risk, and God is showing up, and people are getting blessed, and the kingdom's coming on the streets of Glasgow. So, <laughs> praise God. Well done, all of you that are doing this, and it's growing. So, my purpose over this beginning weeks of the year is to give you information that is like a review of last year and put some sort of pillars in place that stuff we've probably talked about already, but this is about what God's doing. It's kind of recognizing it's building some truth around what God's self-evidently up to, or at least I think He's self-evidently up to. So last week we covered mostly, we reviewed healing, and and, and I'm going to do it again because it's just so good. So we've seen in... The 15 months, really, from September 2009 to the end of 2010, 50, 50 people get healed in and through this church. So that's stuff happening in meetings, but also happening through us in people's houses, streets, chip shops, light and life events where our folks have been. Isn't that just exciting and wonderful? Um, And the trajectory has been that the number of healings is increasing... And they're increasing because they're happening more and more outside than inside. And I believe both should increase. But, you know, the kingdom is coming and it's, it's propelling us outwards. And the other thing is, the reason more things are happening is more of you are praying. So like Hannah came up last week, she prayed for a mum over Christmas who'd got some arm problem. That's another person now who's prayed and seen some success. And we all know once that's happened, you want to pray for somebody else. and and Simon's doing it and Johnny's doing it and and Kat's doing it and Lenny's doing it and Jan's doing it and uh, others of you are doing it and so I mean just the more of us that pray the more miracles are going to happen and some of us are going to have complete you know where we strike a complete zero you know bowled out first ball moments but if we'll go back to the crease then we may sit next next innings we score a century we've seen that in the great England cricket victory just want to put that in (laughs) <laughs> there are a few of you that follow cricket, the Ashes, etc. But we move quickly on before we become sectarian and bogged down in sports analogies. Um, I mean, I, I, I didn't tell you this. I told you all the good bits of going to Teesside when we were there in November. But I also, I'm, I'm launching out too. And I had this word. I had. I was sure that there was someone in the room with this surname, Jameson and you know, there's 250 people or something in the room so I'm launching out here I believe there's somebody is there a Jameson in the house? Not a word so this was kind of, you feel like luckily my next word of knowledge worked So, but, but we're all what I'm saying is we're all pressing the envelope of our experience of what we know but actually as we do that we're finding breakthroughs and confidence and now we've got stories from treasure hunts where people are finding their treasure, people are getting touched by the power of God. Whereas the first few times we did it, you know, like my story with Steve and others of us, it was hopeless, wasn't it? We walked for ages up and down Byers Road, or you know, we had these random clues, and it was just... That went on for most of last year. But now... So here, here up doesn't have to be, you don't have to be a blinding success to be on track for seeing breakthrough in, in your life and for God to use you mightily. So, so that's, that's so exciting. There's a momentum of healing building, and, and I believe that there's a trajectory. That means God is doing something in healing and miracles that we're on the coattails of, and he wants to take us somewhere. It wants to increase. Because God is real. He's here, and because he's real, he does real things. He doesn't just give us ideas. He doesn't just kind of give us a sort of fuzzy feeling and make us feel religious. No, he's here to change our lives, and he's here to change our lives so we can change the lives of people that we meet and ultimately change a city and a nation and it sounds just like totally out there but then he's God. He can change nations in a day and uh, when he does I'd like to be there and be part of it. Um, the other thing that happened last year was in the last quarter of last year our attendance jumped by 20% which is very exciting so we do need to put more chairs out because all the church growth people tell, tell you that when you 're eighty percent full, you stop growing, so we 're full today, so we need to rearrange the room and make some more space because then what was the film? you know If you book them, they will come wayne 's world wasn 't it? yeah yeah so if we, if we put the chairs out, they will come that 's the basic principle. I, I knew there was a, there, was a, there was a biblical illustration in wayne 's world somewhere. <laughs> It's a bit of an old movie. But all of you in your late 20s knew what I was talking about, didn't you? Uh, If you turn with me to Ephesians chapter 3. For those of you who are visiting, we do love the Bible. And we love to preach and teach the Word of God because it was given to us by the Holy Spirit. I think it's really interesting, isn't it? When Jesus. I'm not an expert in comparative religions, but from what I can tell, Jesus is the only spiritual leader who when he was going away, didn't promise to leave or leave a book. When he's talked to the disciples, he said, I'm going away, here's the book. He didn't say that. And many Christians live like that's what he did do. Uh, Jesus didn't say, here's the Bible, I'm going away, you'll be safe if you have a Bible. He said, no, I'm going away and what I'm going to do is send you a person not a book. I'm going to send you the Holy Spirit. And that was the answer to all their problems, all their questions, all their insecurities, all their who am I, what am I supposed to do, how are we going to cope without you, Jesus? What, what are the answers? What are the doctrines? What are the ways forward? What are we supposed to believe, even? The answer was that Jesus was going to send a person, the Holy Spirit, to lead them into all truth. And the person authored a book, called the Bible, and we love the Bible, but we need to keep honoring the person that authored the Bible, otherwise we just become religious. This is, a, this is a book that is inspired by the Holy Spirit, and without the Holy Spirit, we're not going to know what he meant. So if you turn with me to uh, Ephesians chapter 3, and I want to pick up, last week we talked about the goodness of God, and in James I, I talked about from James, how there is no... You can't get bad things from God because there are no bad things in God. So he, in James, it says, there's no evil in him, so he can't tempt you with evil. And it goes on to say that he is the father of lights, and in him there's no changing, there's no shadow. And we talked about 1 John, it says that he he is light, and in him there's no darkness at all. We mustn't attribute bad things to a good God, but actually we do have a devil who likes to dress up as an angel of light and he wants us to attribute good things to a bad devil and bad things to a good God. And we need to keep rewiring the scene. So the devil wants to deceive you that God is bad and that he is good. But actually the truth is that God is good and the devil is bad. and There is no goodness in him. As Jesus defined him, he, was, he is the author of lies He is the author of accusation, he is a destroyer, he is a deceiver, and he is a murderer, and he is someone who wants to rob you of everything good. But he wants to do it under the cover of looking like he's going to bless you. That's the ultimate, that's the way that the devil works, and he wants to tell you that God is bad and that he is good. But we are here to tell ourselves and everybody else that God is good and the devil's bad, and that there is only light in God and no darkness. And He is the Father of light. He is a dad. God is a dad. He he is the beginning of all dadness. He He is the creator of any concept of true fatherhood that is. He is the author of all fathering. And so if you turn with me, I've said that twice now, haven't I? And half of you use PDAs, so it's even a wasted phrase. Never mind, I have a Bible with pages in. It's so old school. And it's Ephesians three 14. I'm just picking, I believe these verses have come back to me over and over again, and I really believe they're a bit of a template, a bit of a, a lens that talk about all the things that God's doing with us and has been doing with us. And Alan did an excellent job of teaching and uh, packing this a few weeks ago now. It was, you did this, didn't you, Alan, for us? So I'm back on it again. I just feel this is some helpful verses for us. So verse 14, Ephesians 3. For this reason I kneel before the Father, from whom his whole family in heaven on earth derives its name. I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his Spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may may have the power, together with all the saints, to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ, and to know the love that surpasses knowledge, (laughs) that you may be filled with the measure of the fullness of God. Now, to him who is able to do measurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus through all generations, forever and ever. Amen. That is such a load of words, is it not? It's such a load of superlatives and hyperlatives and hyperboles and Greek thingies going on in that, that passage that you need, you, need, you need the Holy Spirit from heaven to help you get some, your head around. It's just, you can know the unknowable. I mean, that's confusing right there, is it not? Just, just picking out any, any couple of phrases from that section... And the wind of the spirit or the fan has just blown my my pages over here. I know what happens to the musicians now. That's why the songs change. (laughs) (laughs) What are we going to (laughs) do? Oh, it's another one. I mean, the glorious riches strengthened in your... I mean, what's this talking about? This doesn't make sense to a rational human being in the 21st century. But this is right at the heart of that healthy, powerful, successful Christian and church life because this is what Paul is praying into this church. This is an insight into Paul's prayer life. And interestingly, it follows the model prayer of Jesus, the first part anyway. Remember, Jesus taught them to pray and taught us to pray, Heavenly Father. Yeah? Hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done. He starts off talking about the Father and then he starts to plug into all these glorious riches, heavenly places coming down into earthly lives. And uh, so he follows the same wisdom and pattern that Jesus, Jesus gave us, some real parallels to the Lord's Prayer, the kingdom of God coming, the will of God being done, the will of God is the love of God. Jesus said, a new commandment I give to you. If you want to know what the will of God is, here it comes. The new commandment is coming. Love one another. Surely it's more complicated than that. No, no, that's complicated enough. When you've got that one down, you've really come a long way. There's tons about the love of God, the will of God being done on earth as it is in heaven. Your will be done. Your kingdom come. All the resources of heaven be manifest in the church. That's what he's praying for. And uh, so I just want to pick up some of these phrases. It, starts, it talks, to the back, talks to the Father. Isn't it interesting? I kneel before God, yes, but he said I kneel before the Father from whom all, the whole family, or all fatherhood, is, is another translation, in heaven and on earth, derives its name. So what I said at be, the beginning is true that Everything, every good element of fathering derives from the Father. And you can't, it doesn't matter how much you want family in church life, how much you believe in family, how much you organize a family, and you do family events and you have family chats and you you use family language, if you don't know Dad, you aren't going to have a family. You're going to have a structure that talks about it. But we need a church and a people that know about the Father because family derives from Father. That's the link. That's the flow. That's the order of the priority. And and God keeps speaking to us about His Father heart, about His Father nature. Uh, And it's such a vital revelation that we all come into an understanding of the Father heart of God and who we are as sons and daughters. It's where Paul starts. He's coming to the Father. He's not praying God's a kind of impersonal word, isn't it? He's coming to his Abba, he's coming to his Papa, he's coming to his Daddy. I'm increasingly persuaded that we've screwed up the parable of the prodigal son. Because the prodigal son is an inserted title that isn't in the text. So we reference it as it's about the prodigal son. But I'm increasingly persuaded it's about the heart of the father. I think it's the parable of the misunderstood father. It's about two sons who didn't know how to be sons in the house of a wonderful father. And when you don't know the heart of the father you are either one of the two sons. You're either a rebellious son who runs away from the father, or you're the religious son who obeys the father but doesn't enjoy the riches of the inheritance of the father. So if you know, how many of you know or know of the parable of the prodigal son? Save me reading it. Yeah, most of you, I guess. So one guy asked for his inheritance early, which effectively wishes the dad was dead. The dad just gives it to him. He knows he's going to waste it. He goes away. He spends it on, he spends it on intimacy. He spends it on loose living, on, on prostitutes. And when he could be having intimacy with this wonderful father, he spends it on other intimacy and wastes it. And So many of us have lived our Christian lives like that. We get something from our father and go and spend it on things in the world that don't ultimately satisfy but another bunch of us and i think these two sons live in all of us we all have tendence both the tendencies the other son his his basic strap line is but father you never threw any parties to me and i have obeyed everything you set and i've worked hard and that's what most religious people will say to god well i don't have much blessing but i have obeyed you and i've worked hard i've never i've, I've been faithful He's exhibiting a slavery mentality, even though he's a son. And it's possible to be a son of God, a daughter of the King, and live like a slave and live like a servant. And actually, we we are people who serve God, but we serve because we're sons, not to become them. We serve as sons; we don't serve as slaves. It's a new way of thinking. Evangelicalism has put obedience above relationship. The most important thing in the Christian life is obey God. No, the most important thing in the Christian life is to love His presence and to know that He's your Dad. Obeying God actually comes after that, not before that. So relationship with the Father is not conditional on your obedience. Your obedience is conditional on your relationship with the Father. We have people doing crazy things because they got in love with a crazy God. Not because we told them. I didn't organize seven people to go out on the street. Nobody said, look, if you really love God, you've got to kneel in the snow and look a complete idiot and pray for someone on crutches just comes out of something else, doesn't it? So I know i embarrassing you, but <laughs> it's okay. And others of you, others of you are doing radical things for Jesus, because you know the Father. And He's bringing us into a relationship with Him where we don't want to be rebellious. Because it's too much fun being with Him. Do, do you get, do you see If you're having a great time in your intimacy with him, if you're enjoying all that inheritance that is yours, you don't need to run away because it's more fun in the house than out of the house. I really believe that. It says that in his presence, in God's presence, is fullness of depression. No, it doesn't. It's fullness of seriousness. It's fullness of service. It's fullness of activity. No, it's fullness of joy. I like our prayer meetings before the meeting. They're so much fun. They are fun, I make no apology for that. I remember walking uh, when we went to Bethel first time, went to their prayer meeting, which is kind of somewhere else again, they just walk around and around in a big room, and I thought, well when in Rome do as the Romans, I don't know what's going on here. this doesn't look like any prayer meeting I've been to, and I start walking around and they do this for an hour uh, and I talk to and they're all chatting away, and some are praying in tongues, and some are just talking to each other, they're not talking to God. So I talked to this guy, I said, This is interesting. What's going on? He said, Well, we walk around till we get happy and then we pray. <laughs> and I don't know if you noticed, but happy prayers are much more enjoyable than sad ones. And they prayed with much more faith. So the second time we went, it's a bit busier, and I'm walking around with people, and something starts to happen on the bends. <laughs> so you're kind of walking around the room and, and then there are bends. To go in a circle you have to do bends. And there was one bend in particular, every bend there was a it was crowded and there was a line of us. The Holy Spirit would come on us and we'd start to laugh on the bend. And it would get harder and harder to walk around the bend. And then we'd kind of straighten up and then we go around, and I'm thinking, oh, here comes a bend. I mean, it happened so many times. <laughs> you think, uh-oh, uh-oh, the bend is coming. Oh! <laughs> it was a great prayer meeting. Then we all stopped. We all held hands, and we prayed for God to come in the meeting and bless people and heal people, and half of us ended up completely wiped out. I mean, we... And then I kind of staggered into the meeting and had this... Woman I'd never met before came up to me and had this amazing prophetic word over me. I'm thinking, I like this kind of Christianity. This works for me. When that's happening, you don't want to go and spend all your money on so, or your energy on some other kind of satisfaction. God never, never, never plays the guilt shame card to get your attention. I get you to do stuff, isn't? If it's guilt and shame that's motivating you, that's not him. That's not the kind of dad that he is. If you noticed in that parable, there's no guilt and shame. There's a lot of failure by the sons, but no guilt and shame put on them by the dad. When the guy who spent all the money comes back, what does he do? He runs to greet him. He wraps him in a new robe. He puts the ring of authority back on him. He puts new shoes on his feet and throws a party. There's only celebration and delight in you as a son or daughter of God, even on a bad week or a bad year. God's attitude, what oozes out of him, is celebration, love, affection, and affirmation, not guilt and shame. That's not from him. That's from the other guy. And he just wants to dress guilt and shame up as as religiously acceptable. It's not. We should have a guilt-shame-free zone called church huh. it's not the dad that we know this dad gives access to all his resources freely I mean he was in some ways his judgment was not sound yeah a son comes up to you basically wishes you were dead you know he's just hes a good time kid you but he gives him it all No strings attached. How mental is that? That's what God's like. He just gives you stuff and then you mess it up and you come back and he says, that's fine, I love you. we're like, yeah, but I messed it up. I only want to be. So he comes back saying I'm only worthy to be a servant. The guy who stayed in the house only thinks he should be a servant. The father is trying to say, i birthed you as sons. Please get the message. I've come to give you all my inheritance. You have free access to it even if you do dumb stuff with it. And even when you've done dumb stuff with it, you can still come back and what are you going to get? No guilt and shame. The Father Heart of God is huge. He wants to remove the orphan spirit from the church because the orphan spirit says there's only a little bit to go around and I need to fight to keep my bit and fight to get a bit more and it creates envy, division, and it creates a mentality that when God comes, we want to preserve it and protect it rather than enjoy it and give it away, because we think we think more like Oliver Twist than Jesus Christ. You know, you know, in Oliver, the old film, and he's in the workhouse and he's had his gruel, and he goes back and he says, "Can I have some more?" And the answer is, "More? You want more?" Was it Mr. Bumble or something? Harry Seacom, whoever it is. <laughs> and we're like, you know, God gives us some blessing. And then we kind of feel oh, just about enough to, you know, to part fill my stomach. And then it's like, can I actually go back for more? And we kind of have a mentality which is, how could we dare ask for more? This is holy what we've had. And that's just totally, it's dickens not Jesus. God wants to give you more. Than you can responsibly handle more than you ever know what to do with. His wisdom is to give you so much that eventually you get the idea that he wants to give you so much. Our wisdom is, well, let's try of eke it out. The father, heart of God, he comes to a father. And God wants to remove the orphan spirit because He wants to pour out so much. Orphans get by; sons do miracles. You know, we're not here just to survive; we're here to change the world. Orphans have a—I've just got to get enough to get through myself. What we want to keep saying is, no, we need to get enough to change the world we're in. It's got to go beyond just what I need to get by. Oh, this is dangerous. Oh. And, then, and then he says, it says this really strange thing. God's ambition, or Paul's ambition, and I believe it's God's ambition, is that they may be filled isn't that good? We pray that a lot for more and to be filled, don't we? You Anybody here want to be filled with the Spirit? Yeah, that's cool. But there's a key thing in our thinking that God wants to adjust, which is what's the measure of fullness? How do you know when you're full? And if you've lived on a meager diet, you get full fast. Haven't I mean, you noticed after Christmas it takes longer to get full? Isn't it? You know, when you've had turkey dinner, Christmas pudding, and you kind of sat on the sofa, and then it comes out the quality street and the oh, does anybody want cheese and biscuits? And you just feel like it's just kind of not kosher to say no on Christmas day. And then the cheese and crackers, and then we haven't ate, we haven't eaten for three hours. Let's have some tea. And it's like, Ugh, uh. and then for months afterwards, you feel hungry all the time <laughs> because your stomach. You see. Christians have lived like that. They're like, well, I'm so full. Yeah, but you've been living on light rations. Oh, fill me, Lord. And you go, blip, wow, I'm so full. And what God's doing is days is stretching our spiritual stomach. He's getting your spiritual gastronomy in line with heaven. Because his measure is this. He prays to be as full with God as God is. Well, how full is that? <laughs> that's fuller than Christmas. <laughs> that's fuller than turkey dinner, Christmas pudding, cheese and crackers. You know, that's, that's fuller than brandy butter. That's fuller than all that stuffed into you, shaken down, pressed together, and eaten it all again. This is as full of God. Eating till you throw up. <laughs> <laughs> At this point the illustration just died. didn't? You can still go, "Don't say that, Andy, and of course I said it, and he's just gone <laughs> no, indigestion. no indigestion in heaven. But are you filled, not to your own satisfaction, not to your own measure of experience, but are you and I filled to the measure of the fullness? Of God. Changes the game, doesn't it? Wow, God, I've had enough. Because there are times when God comes on you and it's like, whoa, this is so intense. Is it not? It's like, man, this is so intense. I can't handle anymore. But the question isn't, can you handle it? The question is, oh, have you got as much of God as God's got of him? That's a whole other story. How much of God has God got? Well, all of it. How much of God does God want you to have? All of it. Whoa, Paul's praying this. This is apostolic prayer. Ah. So me in my like, littleness, Oh wow, God, this is so intense. It's so personal. I'm so not in control. Ah. There's something inside goes, please stop. And he goes, okay. Okay, I won't, you know, I'm not going to blow you away today. But this time I went to Bethel I got to know this guy this greeter on the door and every time I went past him he prayed. he he, he started to zero at me and every time I went past he laid hands on me saying no mercy and I'm like no mercy God's full of mercy and rich and kind every time I went past he laid hands on me no mercy lord no mercy for this guy I'm walking by I think no mercy God's full of mercy and rich and compassion no mercy and this happened time after time after time no mercy I'm thinking what do you mean no mercy I need mercy I need lots of mercy. I'm impure and imperfect and you know, I have failings. I need mercy. He said, No mercy, God, no mercy. I'm like, Finally, I started to get it. He was praying that I'd get so much that God wouldn't have mercy on my Oh, please stop my God, all this. Do you see what I mean? God wants to pour out his spirit, no mercy, on Hope Church. Like to your experience envelope and beyond. To infinity and beyond. Because that's the fullness of God. So come on, guys, let's reorientate our appetite to line up with God's measure. Which is, you're not full till you've got all as much of Him as there is in Him. Ha! Ah, which is a bit outrageous. It's out of our control, out of our experience, and out of our capacity. So God, I believe, in what He's doing and coming to us in these days, is, is re-engineering us internally so that we line up with His measure rather than ours. And it feels odd at times. It's stretching, it's weird, isn't it? To a human being it's weird, but God is superb. So why wouldn't you want to be filled with more of him? I don't mind, this, just carry on, this is great. The other thing I start to realize, this guy prayed for me, is that my concept of fullness was wrong. I've been taught over and over again that we need to get filled because we leak. You remember that? Over and over again. Ephesians chapter 5, be filled, constantly filled with the Spirit. And I think it was probably Lloyd-Jones who said it, so it must have been the Holy Ghost. It was, he said, we need to be filled because it's like a bucket, but we've got a hole in and we leak. But God said to me, how full of water is a river? Ha. Question, come on, answer, how, much, how full of water is a river? Depends how much it rains, good point. Ah. But the point with a bucket is, number one, it is of limited capacity. And whether it leaks or you pour it out, you have to go and get it filled again. A river normally is, normal conditions, is full of... Don't look at me like that. It's full of water. It's, this is kind of... <laughs> what is he on about? What's a river full of? Fish? No, it's full of water that fish are in. <laughs> it's full of weeds. Yeah, but there's water that weeds are in. It's full of water. Just hang on there. What did Jesus say? He said, he didn't say that the, the Holy Spirit Is going to be inside you a bucket full of water that leaks. And you need to get it filled because you hopeless buckets actually leak. I'm creating in you a bucket that leaks. You can just see Jesus saying that, can't you? Yay, thus says the Lord, you're a load of buckets, but you leak. So, cometh, says the Lord, cometh and keep ye drinking to fill your leaky buckets. And the whole Christian world has bought this idea that we're leaky buckets that need, you know, every now and again, oh, I'm a bit low, I'll come for another bucket full. But God's going, oh, for goodness sake, read the Bible. What did Jesus say? Come on, give, give us a few quotes there's a several gone. Rivers of Rivers plural <laughs> What does that look like? It's not a bucket for starters, is it? It didn't even say, come to me and I'll give you buckets. It said rivers of Doing what? Different trans like flowing out, yeah, flowing out, yeah. Flowing, flowing rivers, flow. There's another word in there as well. Come on, you Bible scholars. To eternal life. Yeah, yeah, but flow. River innermost being, yeah, yeah, coming. Where's it come from? Come on, come on, give me this. I'm giving you lots of clues. Rivers are flowing from where? They're flowing from Jesus. Yeah, I know they're flowing from Jesus, but <laughs> in the verse, in... in I'm not reading the verse because I think we might get it better if we get it this way. So it's—I'm not telling you where it is just yet because I can see some of you already looking. So from where do the rivers flow? They spring. Yet yeah, two important words there. They, he said that the rivers would do what? Spring up, not fill up. From where? Yeah, yeah, six out of ten. <laughs> <laughs> so the message, the message at the minute is only four out of ten, so. From. It's from, yeah, it, all those things are true. It's forever, it's from Jesus. But Jesus, it says, out of the innermost being, depends on what translation. From inside you, rivers of living water would spring up. Not buckets with holes will be filled. John seven. He found it. He stood up on the day of the feast, didn't he? What does it say, Phil? Says in the last day of the feast. So out of the inside of you flows infinite rivers of water. What does the next bit say? And this he spoke of? he said about the Spirit. Thanks. <laughs> <laughs> Where's the Holy Spirit coming from? I know it's heaven, and blah, 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 but it's, he's springing up inside of you. There's infinite fullness. There's continuous filling because it's rivers, not a bucket. Hello? No mercy. There's so much. And we tend to have a get my bucket filled mentality rather than stay in the flow. We come to meeting to get filled. Well, you've got the spring in you. It's not out of the front. So he's praying that they be filled to the, whoa, measure of the, goodness, ha, ha, the fullness of God because the spring's springing up. So it's not a static fullness, it's, it's, a, it's a flowing river fullness, it just keeps flowing, 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 and uh, uh, we don't leak. We are the source, not the recipients, ha, ha. I'm going to say that again. We are the source, not the recipients. Ha, the source is in you. He rewired you when you became a Christian. He rewired you. says that you become one spirit with Him. You become a whole new kind of creature. A creature that has dual citizenship of heaven and earth. So there's a bit of heaven inside of you and it's the source out of which flows the Spirit through your heart into your life and out to others. That was a good point, thanks. So, filled to whose measure? Filled in what way? We're not buckets. I'm so thrilled with it. I could keep saying it. I'm not a bucket for Jesus, praise God. And It's even better, I don't have a hole. Isn't that exciting? I'm a river. You're a river. And what's flowing in the river? Well, it's love. He it says it's just kind of love. You have encounters with love that you can't understand and you can't comprehend and that you can't describe, but you can have them. Because it says it's beyond It says you can have it, but you don't understand it. So you're off the page in terms of words, but you're not off the page in terms of experience of the love of God. Okay. The whole theme seems to be of this section is about power working in you. So at the beginning he's saying, he prays that out of his glorious riches we may be strengthened with power, literally that as dunamis, the explosive power of the Spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your heart. I'd like to express it this way and, and, and just bear with me. If you want to know the resurrected Christ, you need power. can't just get it from a book or a theological state. The point is that the Christ lives in your heart. You need a work of power. You need to experience power to have Christ live in you properly. That's what he's saying. It's not enough to know about it. You've got to have it. And he goes on to say that that him who is able to do more than we ask or imagine, oh this is what I was hoping to preach on actually, but never mind. That was the introduction, (laughs) and we're not going to make this, that'll do, we'll kind of move towards it and pick it up another time. Um, Now if he'd just said in verse 20, now to him who is able to do measurably more than we ask or imagine, we'd all have gone, amen, we get that. God's bigger than us. He can do more than we can think He can do. He can do more than we can ask Him to do. Yeah? Simples. <laughs> but it doesn't just say that. Oh, shame. It says God is able to do immeasurably. Blah, 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 blah. Oh
2: dear!
0: <laughs> is it Bruce Almighty? It is, isn't it? Where <laughs> oh, there's Newcastle starts can't speak because he keeps going. <laughs> ah. <laughs> I don't know why that's important. I don't think probably isn't important. <laughs> God is able to do. <laughs> I'm gonna try. Immeasurably more. How about that? I got it out? <laughs> then we ask or think, but it's according to something else. Darn. According to what? Power. Power where? It's one of those trick questions. In the universe. Power at work in you. So Paul's praying that power would work in them so that Christ could dwell in them. Then he's saying that God answers prayers according to the power that's at work in you. So it's no wonder he's praying that power would work in them because he wants them to see measurably more answers than they could ask or imagine according to the power that is how at work in them. See, this was a good point. I've just run out of time to talk about it. In this verse 20, he puts together the essential inner workings of the Christian to see God do amazing things. He puts together asking, imagining, and the work of power. God works through you according to what you're asking and thinking that is dependent on how much power is at work inside you. Just go, yeah, and then we can finish. If you don't look at me intelligently, I'll keep talking. One of the reasons that God is coming to us with power encounters is so that he can work through us more miraculously. He's going to answer us immeasurably more than we can ask or think according to the power at work within us. One of the reasons God's freeing people up from depressions and getting rid of rejection and doing deep inner things is so that more power can flow in you, so that more power can flow out of you. Um, Let's probably just end with a story. Some months ago now, the... Nick and Jan came to talk to me about how I was defensive and justifying myself. And this is ages ago now. And I realized it was, a, it was a feature of my life anyway that was not very attractive. And I also realized through what we went through as a church now, three and a half years ago, it, would, it, would, it had been emphasized in my life as a means to protect myself. Do you you understand what I mean? If you start excusing yourself, justifying yourself, it's because you don't want any criticism to come near you because if you've had a a belly full of it, you don't want any more. Whether it was justified or not, you just think, I've had enough of this. Um, And they they were great. It was just so good that they came and I thought, I need to change this. And then, I, I can't remember how much later, but we were just having a kind of social time, I think, and we were chatting about some of the Old days that in a movement we were in together, and, uh, and we were talking about stuff probably from twenty plus years ago, and I started to have a feeling in my chest, exactly there, and I just stopped and said, something's going on. I feel like I've got a post in my chest. It wasn't a plank in my eye, it was a post in my chest. And and it's related to this season that we're talking about and stuff that happened to me. So, you know, Jan's radar switches on immediately. She is amazing. She's got real, real anointing and gifting in this setting people free area. Just kind of all the lights go on. And so Nick and Jan kind of team up with a bit of help from Teresa and start praying for me. And this sense of having this post coming out of my chest, it just gets more real. and it's, it's weird. It feels weird. And the sense I had was that it was so sticking out of me, and I couldn't see it. I just became aware of it. It was like I would hit people with it. And it made it hard for people to get close, because I was whatever was stuck in me, was, I was using it to hit other people. And it just, through prayer, it just became really... Obvious that what had happened is something was spoken over me while I was kind of did a year's training for ministry that was really negative about my prospects as a leader, put it that way. And it had locked right deep down in my spirit and it made me fight for something that I didn't need to fight for, made me justify things I didn't need to justify. And strive for things I didn't need to strive for. And so they started to pray to pull this thing out. And it literally felt like something was coming out of my chest. Not like alien, but like a rod. And after that, something changed. I felt a lot less condemned. It's funny, I've preached loads of messages on grace. But as a leader, I often felt, that I wasn't doing enough and I wasn't up to much and wasn't. And this was governing my life too much. And something changed just because of that prayer time. And there's others I want to talk about another time, but isn't that great? So there's more power at work in me because there's more power through me because more power. It's kind of cleared the way for more stuff to flow. And God's doing that in lots of our lives. He's setting captives free in this. Church, so that we can be better at setting cactus free out there. The power at work within you. We need more of that, so that God can do more. Very exciting times. Very. We are being set up by God for amazing stuff. How can we not believe Him when you look at what's happened from almost nothing? to what we have seen. How can we not go, Oh, God, what could this year be like? That's what he wants. He wants to ask and imagine amazing things according to the power that work within us. Ha. Happy days.